The views and opinions expressed in this program are those of the guests and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of the hosts and creators of this program. This is the Pet Buzz. This is the Pet Buzz. Freshly collected with news, celebrity pet gossip, and the latest pet trends. The Pet Buzz gives you the latest 411 on everything pet related. Everything pet related. Hosted by pet trendologist Charlotte Reed and Dr. Michael Fleck. And here's the Dynamic Pet Duo. Well, let's kick off the show by welcoming you all to our newest family members. We're happy to have you join us. 1390 WNRI AM and 95.1 WNRI FM in Providence, Warwick, Pantucket, and Woonsocket. We are really excited to have you join us. It's great. Our show plays in Rhode Island, that Rhode Island market, on Saturday at 10 a.m. You know, one of the things I was thinking about, because I love to do this weekly musing with you, is, you know, it's really hard to be a multi-pet owner. I'm trying, I'm talking about, I'm not talking about your wallet, you know, spending money, but also balancing your time, giving attention to all of your pets. That's what I've been struggling with this week. How can I give Hayden the cat and the dogs, Hannah the golden retriever and the English toy spaniels, Ty and Maro and Wally and Hammy Jones or HJ, the time that they need? Well... By the nature of being young and fun and always in trouble, H.J. and Wally, they always get lots of attention. And Morrow gets attention because Wally bullies him. And then I need to change that, of course, because that's a problem. And then Hannah's older and wants attention, of course, when I'm tired and when she's afraid of thunder. And then, of course, that's at night when I'm tired. And then Hayden wants attention once I get in the bed. So I'm trying to create a daily schedule, which will vary day to day based on the day that I'm having. And that way I can make sure I can give them all a little bit of individual special time. Well, I'm off to a good start today, but any suggestions could help. So post, tweet, or email me at queenbeeatthepetbuzz.com. But let's now kick off the show with a weekly countdown. In segment four, Nadine Mazzola, a certified forest therapy guide and author of the new book, Forest Bathing with Your Dog, is joining us to talk about the relatively new Japanese practice and how you can best share it with your dog. Three. In segment three, veterinarian Dr. Sarah Hamer, an associate professor of epidemiology at the Texas A&M College of Veterinary Medicine and Biomedical Sciences, is talking with us about her research centered around the degree to which pets are infected with SARS-CoV-2, the virus that causes COVID-19. You don't want to miss this conversation, especially if you live in a hot spot of the country where numbers are growing. Absolutely. You don't want to miss that. And in two, in this portion of the show, I talk about celebrity pet gossip. And I talk about my week-to-week experiences with pets and their people. And in segment one, Shark Week is coming to an end, but with the media fanfare, the segments on deadly shark attacks, and the celebrities coming into contact with those really large, frightening fish, we want to learn about the real story. Why these large creatures, why sharks are in trouble? So joining us today to talk about why sharks are under attack is George Burgess, an ichthyologist and fisheries biologist. Not such a while ago, Dr. Burgess retired as the director of the International Shark Attack File. He is author, co-author of numerous books, 
and papers on sharks and other fish. He is one of the world's leading experts on sharks. Dr. Burgess, thanks for coming back to the Pet Buzz and talking about sharks with us today. Glad to be with you. Okay, so let's get down to it. How has the changing ocean chemistry, temperature, and biodiversity affected sharks? Well, uh, of course, uh, global climate change is uh, is affecting all of us, every animal and plant on, on the earth. And uh, in the case of sharks, sharks are no different. And so with uh, climate changing, uh, we have seen increased water temperatures, which means that warm water critters, of which most sharks are warm water critters, are now progressing uh, farther north uh, during the summertime uh, in the northern hemisphere. Uh, and progressing farther south in the southern hemisphere uh, during warm water periods, which means that their ranges are expanding. So how does the reproduction rate of sharks contribute to their vulnerability? It's not so much just the rate, it's the mode of reproduction. And uh, the the way sharks reproduce is is the following. Uh, All of them are internal fertilizers, just like we are as humans and other mammals. And so uh, there has to be copulation. And then the female carries the developing embryos uh, in her uteri. And uh, as a result of that, uh, just as it is in humans, the consequence is that there is a, a, a more prolonged reproductive period uh, from uh, copulation and, and fertilization to the final product. In the case of the sharks, it's anywhere from 12 to 18 and even 24 months in, in, in a species or two. So the, the gestation period, the time of carrying the young, is more prolonged. On top of that, uh, most species of sharks require at least a full year uh, a resting period uh, for females to get pregnant again. And in, in many sharks now, we know it's two or three years. So as a result, uh, reproduction is a long process. It's, it takes a lot of time and energy, and it's not done very quickly. And of course, because of the limitations of the the celomic cavity, the gut cavity, uh, there's only so much room for so many young. And so the number of young produced is very low. Wow. Hmm. Slow producers. Mm-hmm. And changing the lifespan for the for the producing of it, too. Yeah. Well, if you've just joined us, we're talking with Dr. George Burgess, an ethiologist and fisheries biologist who is one of the world's leading shark experts. So, Dr. George, why are sharks being hunted into extinction? And what are the reasons that hunters want these large fish? Um, I'll take you, I'll, I'll take you to task a little bit with the word I- extinction. Um, shark populations are, are indeed in decline around the world. Few of them are approaching biological extinction right now. Uh, but some of them, in some cases, many of them uh, are facing fishery extinction, which is it's no longer worthwhile fishing for them because there's not enough to make your money. But the major factor are the fins. The fins are sent to southeastern Asia, and shark fins, of course, are used in making shark fin soup, a dish that's less impressive as uh, for its taste than for what it is claimed to, to, to do, which is to be an aphrodisiac uh, and provide uh, an increase in one's sexual prowess. I can tell you from having tried uh, shark fin soup that it didn't help me a damn bit. <laughs> I was just going to ask that. 
<laughs> hey, Doc, how can how can our listening audience help charts? Well, uh, I, I, the best thing we can do is read what we can read and learn what we can learn and, and verify that whatever I told you today uh, was true and not just BS. Uh, once you are, are convinced that the kind of things that I and most other scientists are saying uh, are, are, is true, then the next step is to pass that word along uh, to not only friends and relatives, but to do what you can to get the powers that be to come to the conclusion that these animals require special attention. Uh, that means fishery regulations on a worldwide basis, because most of the sharks, uh, uh, the larger sharks, of course, are all highly mobile. They don't honor uh, state lines or, or, or country boundaries. They're highly migratory animals that move from place to place, and therefore any regulation in terms of reducing the catches of sharks uh, has to be done internationally because uh, all countries uh, are involved. Always enlightening and interesting, Dr. And Burgess. always great information. Great information. So Such a pleasure to have you with us. You know, you are one of our favorite uh, guests. He is. I know. He always is. He sure is. Well, you know, Dr. Fleck, you're definitely right about that. Just to remind you, we're speaking with Dr. George Burgess about why sharks are under attack and what we can do to help them. To learn more about sharks, visit the Florida Program for Shark Research at Florida Museum of Natural History at floridamuseum.ufl.edu. We'll make sure we put that link on our social media channels. Next up, celebrity pet gossip, and of course, Flex Facts. You don't want to miss it. You are listening to The Pet Buzz with pet trendologist Charlotte Reed and veterinarian Dr. Michael Fleck. We would love to communicate with you via social media. Use the Pet Buzz social media channels on Twitter and Facebook to make a comment or ask a question. Post a picture of your pet on Instagram and tell us about his or her unique personality. You can also write to us at team at thepetbuzz.com. For more information about our show, our guests, and buzzworthy freebies, visit us at thepetbuzz.com. I'm pet expert Charlotte Reed, and I want to remind you how important it is to protect your pet against fleas, ticks, and mosquitoes with preventative tablets and topicals. By giving your dogs and cats preventative meds throughout the year, you are protecting your pet from Lyme disease, heartworm, flea allergies, worms, and more, causing unwanted and costly vet bills. Most importantly, these parasites can infiltrate your home, causing you and your family's health to be compromised. Remember, healthy pet healthy you. Warmer temperatures mean more time outside. You have sunscreen for yourself, but what about Fido? According to the American Animal Hospital Association and the American College of Veterinary Dermatology, pets need sunscreen too. I love two things, sports and my dog Chester. Where I go, he goes. To the beach, to play soccer, everywhere. We spend a lot of time together in the sun, so I always carry a can of EpiPet sunscreen. So Chester is protected from the sun's harmful UV rays. I just spray it on and I don't have to worry. Chester is protected, so I know my sports buddies can be with me for a long time. Thanks, EpiPet. 
Use EpiPet Sun Protector, the only FDA-approved pet sunscreen on short-haired, light-colored, hairless, golden retrievers, and other dogs susceptible to skin cancer. Contained in a sports bottle, EpiPet allows you to turn the bottle upside down, making it easier to spray your dog all over to protect your dog from the sun all day and every day. Visit epi-pet.com. Joining us on the Pet Buzzes show is hosted by the Pet Dynamic Duo. I'm petronologist Charlotte Reed. And I'm veterinarian Dr. Michael Fleck. Now let's talk some celebrity pet news. You know, Nick Jonas and Priyanka Chopra Jonas welcome a third fur kid to the Jonas pack. The couple have Priyanka's older Chi-Chi and the fairly new German Shepherd dog that she gifted Nick with for his birthday. Sidebar, he wanted to train the GSD as a service dog since he's a diabetic. I'm wondering how that's going. Anyway, Priyanka Chopra, the Quantico star, introduced the new puppy, a husky Australian shepherd mix named Panda on Instagram, while revealing they adopted him a few weeks ago. Jonas did the same thing and captioned his post, Welcome to the family, Panda. Panda's a husky Australian mix, like I said. He's cute as sugar. And they love him very much. Check out the family portrait on our social media channels. I love it. You know what I think, Dr. Fleck? What? I think we should do a family-friendly feline and canine portrait. What do you think? Let's schedule it. I think we can get it scheduled, yes. Okay. Now what we've all been waiting for. Flex Facts. Welcome to Just the Facts. Just the Facts. Or fiction. Just the facts, ma'am. You want answers! I want the truth! It's gonna take long. You got the time. So what's the topic of the day, Dr. Fleck? The topic is B12 and your dog getting these shots. Ooh, now this is right up my alley since I love my B12 shots. So tell me about it. Yeah, you know, we're, we're, we're talking about rejuvenation, right? Energy lifting, all that sort of thing. So if your dog no longer behaves like a perky pooch, he might need some additional perk, some vitamin B12 supplementation in the form of shots. This important B12 vitamin can also alleviate symptoms in other various types of dog diseases. Some breeds do not absorb this vitamin very well, so... Shots have to provide adequate amounts. That's why you need your vet. Okay, so tell me about vitamin B12 for pooches. As Like I said, as you know, I get vitamins B, C, D on a fairly regular basis. Well, vitamin B12 or cobalamin is important for many aspects of our dog's health. It's crucial for healthy nervous systems and brain function, as well as for the formation and the growth of blood cells. It's also involved in intestinal health. So your dog needs B12 to maintain a healthy digestion. So most dogs get all the vitamin B12 they need from their food. But dogs with digestive disorders or other health issues may need to be able to absorb enough of it, and the resulting B12 deficiency can cause serious health problems, including things like diarrhea, weight loss, and even some seizures. So talk about how B12 
is an important role in body's absorption. And talk about the symptoms. Like, what are the symptoms of B12 deficiency? Well, it plays an important role in the body's absorption of iron. So insufficient levels of this vitamin can lead to an anemia. Dogs with B12 deficiency and or anemia may have one of the following symptoms. They could be a lack of energy, some weakness, reduced interest in play. We've seen that. Mm -hmm. Loss of appetite, diarrhea, weight loss, lack of muscle mass, confusion, and as I indicated before, could lead to seizures. Okay, so what causes the deficiency in dogs? The inability to absorb the B12 in the intestinal tract. Okay. Certain breeds of dogs are genetically predisposed to have difficulty in absorbing these B12, including the Australian Shepherd, Border Collies, Beagles, Giant Schnauzers, Chinese Sharpays. And if your dog is, think of this, a mix of these breeds, so they can suspect heredity, vitamin B12 malabsorption. Hard thing to say. If he tires easily or doesn't eat well. Dogs inheriting these conditions may not gain weight properly, or they may fail to keep weight on. If your vet concurs after testing, she may suggest a vitamin B12 supplementation in the form of some program of shots. Okay, so what else can cause a vitamin B12 deficiency? Kidney failure or renal disease often affects the older dog. Mm -hmm. So while the disease can be cured, proper management can extend your dog's life, a quality of life. Because dogs with renal disease actually urinate more, B12 deficiency easily occurs. Because they can urinate it out, I would think. They're excessively I, urinating right, it out. Right, because when I get a B12 shot and I urinate, I can tell I urinate it out. Okay, well, what about gastrointestinal ailments? If your dog suffers from various gastrointestinal ailments, GI tract ailments, Vitamin B12 shots may alleviate the symptoms and just help them heal. If a dog suffers from B12 deficiency and is not supplemented, GI tract disorders may develop. Okay, so talk to us about getting these B12 shots. If your dog's diagnosed with a B12 deficiency, if your vet believes supplementation will improve his condition, he or she will generally get a shot each week for at least six weeks. He may then receive an injection every couple of weeks for the next six-week period. After that, B12 shots may be given on a monthly basis. Depending on your dog's breed and the prognosis, these shots may be necessary for the short or the long term. These supplements rarely produce any side effects. Such great information. Anything else? That's all the Flex Facts for this week. Awesome. Well, stick around more of the pet buzz very soon. Stay tuned for global pet news about the first dog in the United States who died of coronavirus and a guest who's going to talk about her research study about pets that potentially have COVID. Stay tuned. So I'm a cat, and I just moved in with this new human, and she's got this little toy she's always playing with, all day long. Tap, 
Tap, tap, tap. Bloop, bloop. She can't put it down. There it is. Oh, and get this. She even talks to it. Last week, she asked it for Chinese. And guess what? Egg rolls showed up like magic. Humans have cool toys. A person is the best thing to happen to a shelter pet. Be that person. Adopt. Brought to you by the Ad Council and the shelterpetproject.org. Often should you bathe your pet? Well, I'm pet trendologist Charlotte Reed, and I'm asked that question often. How often you should wash your dog depends on a number of factors, including his health, breed, coat, and activity level, as well as where these activities are taking place. Dogs who spend days outside rolling and things are going to need a bath far more often than the ones who spend most of their time on the couch. Or you can always take the smell test. If your dog walks into the room and you can smell them, it's time for a bath. Make sure when it's time for a bath, you gather up all the supplies, including a non-slip mat and plenty of towels. Use shampoo formulated for dogs and turn your cell phone off to avoid distraction. And if you have a dog that hates getting a bath, smear some peanut butter on the bathtub wall and let him lick it off while you bathe him. Then he'll know bathing can really be a treat. Does your pet have dry, flaky, and itchy skin? Do you find yourself visiting the veterinarian repeatedly because Fido or Fluffy has skin allergies or ear infections? I love animals and want my pets to be healthy. So I asked our vet who recommended EpiPet Ear Cleaner. It's super simple, and it even smells good. Every week I use it on both my dog and my cat to gently remove wax and debris. I even told my friend Aiden to try EpiPet on his dog Sophie, who always had red ears. But not anymore. Now we both have happy and healthy pets. Thanks, EpiPet. Developed by a veterinarian, EpiPet is a revolutionary, high-performance skin and ear care product line made with the finest natural ingredients. EpiPet, for you and your pet, means better pet health. For more information, visit epi-pet.com. Welcome back. You're listening to the Pet Buzz, the best in pet talk radio. I'm pet Charlotte Reed. And I'm veterinarian Dr. Michael Fleck. You know, for this segment, let's start off with some global pet news. And now, Pet Buzz News from around the globe. Buddy, a seven-year-old German shepherd from Staten Island, New York, was the first dog to test positive for the coronavirus in the United States. He died on July 11th after a three-month illness, according to an exclusive interview by National Geographic. It's really unclear whether Buddy died from complications of coronavirus, which he most likely caught from his owner, Robert Mahoney, who tested positive this spring, or whether he died from lymphoma. The dog got sick in April and Mahoney suspected he had the virus, but it wasn't until mid-May that the family finally found a vet, a veterinarian, who would test him and who confirmed Buddy was infected. By June 2nd, the U.S. Department of Agriculture confirmed Buddy was the first dog to test positive for the coronavirus in the United States. Samples from the dog were taken after it showed signs of respiratory illness. That's what the USDA reported. Buddy's health continued to deteriorate, which is unfortunate. By July 11th, Allison Mahoney, uh, Robert's wife, 
down, buddy, throwing up clotted blood. And really, it's unclear where cancer made him more susceptible to contracting the coronavirus or if the virus made him ill or if it was just a case of coincidental timing. That's what the magazine reported. Allison Mahoney told National Geographic, we knew there was nothing that could have been done for him. What are you going to do for a dog with this? We don't have enough information to know what we should do with the dog. We treat it the same way humans are treated. Well, the second dog to test positive in the U.S. and Georgia and the sixth dog in the South Carolina have both died, for example, and their deaths were attributed to other conditionals, National Geographic reported. So the U.S. Center for Disease Control and Prevention does not offer guidance for caring for a pet with COVID-19, but it does include information about testing or information collection from veterinarians as there is no solid data on how the virus affects pets. So it turns out that our next guest is holding on the phone. So we're going to bring on that next guest. Reports have confirmed a small but growing list of positive cases among companion animals and exotic cats in the U.S. I'm talking about COVID for pets now. Now new efforts within the Texas A&M University system are beginning to shed additional light on the topic. And joining us today is Dr. Sarah Hamer, DVM, an Associate Professor of Epidemiology at the Texas A&M College of Veterinary Medicine and Biomedical Sciences. She is further exploring the degree in which pets are infected with SARS-CoV-2, the virus that causes COVID-19. Charlotte and I would love to welcome you to the Pet Buzz today. Thank you so much for having me. So what are you trying to find out with your investigation? What questions are relative and pertinent to your research? Given the pandemic, we are interested. It's pretty simple, trying to figure out to what extent are pets that live with infected people, uh, how commonly are they exposed to the virus? How commonly are they infected with the virus? That makes simple sense. Perfect sense. Perfect. Okay, so Dr. Hamer, tell us about your team of researchers, because I know they vary. Who's involved and why? Our team is a diverse group. We've got um, experts in epidemiology, virology, disease ecology, and we all have a role either in the field or in the lab. So in the field, um, my postdoc, Dr. Italo Zeka, he has an MPH degree and a PhD, and he's really experienced with field work with animals. We also have a PhD student. His name is Ed Davila. He has an MPH degree, and he's playing a role both in the field and in the lab. And then we have Lisa Auckland. She's a research associate, and she helps us stay organized with all of our gear, helps us in the field, and helps us with ordering our supplies. Wow. Sounds like you got it covered to me. Got a heavy-hitting team. Okay, so talk to us about your study group and the testing protocols. Is it dogs and cats and maybe ferrets and then... And how's everything working? Like, what do you, when your team comes in, what do you do? Sure. With our study so far, we've been focusing on dogs and cats that live with infected people. But we're taking steps now to branch out and look at other um, domestic mammal pets, things like rats and rabbits and hamsters and ferrets and gerbils. Um, But so far, we've been collecting from dogs and cats only. And it's an opt-in strategy. So through our collaboration with the local health department, when newly diagnosed cases, human cases, are being interviewed by a case investigator, they're asked if they own pets or not. And if they do, 
they're asked if they might wish to learn a little bit more about potentially being involved with a Texas A&M pet research project. And that if they say yes, then that's when our team is able to get their contact information and explain the project a little further and see if we can line up a time to come sample the dogs and cats. So what happens if you find a COVID-positive pet? In our lab, we run several different tests, and any sample that looks to be positive in our hands is then sent to the National Veterinary Services Lab, which is in Ames, Iowa. And they do the confirmatory testing there, which is needed to determine if a particular pet meets the case definition for having a SARS-CoV-2 infection. And only after that can we declare an animal as, you know, being a confirmed positive. And so far, we've had um, three positive cats and one positive dog that are confirmed from our study right here in Brazos County, Texas. You know, it's so funny because you know what I'm thinking about? I'm thinking about how far we've come in such a short period of time from that one Pomeranian mm-hmm. yeah. in Hong Kong mm-hmm. yep. with the fact that nobody wanted to deal with the fact that it might be a foment transmission to not recognizing that the world's, one of the world's leading czars, virologist was on the case mm-hmm. to and World Health and AVMA and other organizations saying at this time to now full-blown testing with school like Texas A&M on the ground suited up going to the <laughs> going to the home of ha- right exactly special. and I remember distinctly doing all of those TV shows in March yeah. and having people say to me various things like, yeah. you know, and me saying, well, the standard line of who and the AVMA is that pets are not getting COVID from people, but it could be a fomite transmission. Or the other way around. They're not getting, people aren't getting it from the pets. <laughs> I know. Yeah, the and- field has, has come a long way. That's for sure. So, so then tell us how you consider the role of pets and how you are utilizing the one health approach in your research. You stole my question, Dr. I know I did. (laughs) Yeah, we're recognizing that there's, you know, a human pandemic right now, but studying animals, you know, might be a way to learn a little bit more um, that's relevant for animal health, but also potentially relevant for human health. And we know, you know, at their core, coronavirus is, um, you know, originated, you know, with animal reservoirs, and there have been spillover events to get into the human population. And now we're trying to understand a little bit more about how commonly that happens. If there are spillback events, you know, that uh, that humans can infect animals and just learn more about the disease ecology. So this one health approach that's, you know, really linking together domestic animals and humans and even wildlife is really, you know, what's facilitating these collaborations and is going to drive this understanding forward. That's such great information. Just a couple messages. I don't know if if it's been said yet or not, but the first thing is we don't want pet owners to worry or panic about these research findings or others like it. You know, we've been doing this project since late June. A lot of effort in the field, sampled over 50 homes so far. And, you know, we have these four individuals in our study that are infected. So it's not a common finding, but it's one that we need to follow up on and learn more. The other thing is all four of these infected animals were asymptomatic prior to us arriving to take that sample from them. And then two of them went on to develop real mild symptoms. So one cat was reported to sneeze for a few days, and one of the dogs was reported to be lethargic. Um, And we've gone back to resample all of them, and they're all doing well today. So even infected animals, in this case, seem to get very mild or asymptomatic infections. 
Dr. Sarah Hamer. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so much for reaching out. We really appreciate it. To learn more about her research, visit tx.ag backslash BCS COVID research. I'm going to make sure we post that link on our social media channels so you can learn more about the study. Next up, don't miss my I Like You of the Week and how you and your pet can relax by taking part in forest bathing. You are listening to The Pet Buzz with pet trendologist Charlotte Reed and veterinarian Dr. Michael Fleck. We would love to communicate with you via social media. Use The Pet Buzz social media channels on Twitter and Facebook to make a comment or ask a question. Post a picture of your pet on Instagram and tell us about his or her unique personality. You can also write to us at team at thepetbuzz.com. For more information about our show, our guests, and buzzworthy freebies, visit us at thepetbuzz.com. What would you do with two and a half more years with your dog? Two and a half more years of fetch, of walks, of love. Studies show that overweight dogs live two and a half years less on average than dogs at a healthy weight. But Slim Paws is here to help. Veterinarian recommended weight loss in one daily chew for your dog. Slim Paws, for the long, healthy life of your dog. I'm pet trendologist Charlotte Reed. And I'm veterinarian Dr. Michael Fleck. We are urban, suburban, and, and country. country. Well, let me tell you about my I likey of the week, which is the Ray Dunn dog bowls, or cat bowls, actually. Ray Dunn is a California native and resides in San Francisco, the Bay Area. She currently has a line of wares that is sold nationwide. Her line of clay wares includes dog bowls. I like them and have many in my home. They're off-white with words written on them like slurp, chow down, eat, drink, devour, live, love, and bark. She even has bowls for cats that read purr and meow. Her bowls are about 23 plus, but I buy them at TJ Maxx, Home Goods, and Marshalls for about $3.99 to $7.99. I prefer only to use them for water bowls and put two down for my dogs and for the cat. He has a water bowl, a dry food bowl, and a wet food bowl. Check out the bowls on our social media channels. And, of course, you know you can find them on Amazon. Okay, let's move on with our next guest. Well, never have so many of us been so far from the natural world. According to a study sponsored by the Environmental Protection Agency, the average American spends 93% of his or her time indoors. And so many of us have been primarily stuck indoors since the introduction of COVID-19 on the world stage. Okay, well, we all know how good it is or how good it feels to be in nature. Just imagine how it can make our pets feel, especially when we're sharing time together in that natural environment. Joining us today to talk about how you can get the most out of being in nature with our pets is Certified Forest Therapy Guide, Nadine Mazzola. Nadine is the founder of New England Nature and Forest Therapy Consulting in Massachusetts, and she is the author of the new book, Forest Bathing with Your Dog. Nadine, Charlotte and I wish to welcome you to the Pet Buzz today. Thank you so much for having me. So, from being a pro billiards player on the world tour to a certified forest therapy guide, tell us what that is and what do you do? 
So the concept originated in Japan in the 1980s. Japan was experiencing a large spike in stress-related illness, and the Ministry of Health began investigating ways to combat stress-related illness that seemed to spike from a large tech boom that they were having. And forest bathing is spending time out in the forest using your senses to really take in the atmosphere of the forest with the intention of well-being, health, and healing. Okay, Dr. Fleck, you had a pertinent question. Yeah, I mean, thinking of the health benefits to help us and our pets, what are the health benefits of forest bathing for people and our pets? So for humans, the health benefits are that it really reduces our stress reduces our cortisol levels, actually increases our variable heart rate, and in general just helps us relax. For Using our senses actually triggers our relaxation response really effectively and effortlessly. And one of the most amazing bits of research, which is actually part of why I actually got into forest bathing, was that it actually increases a type of white blood cell that we have called an NK cell and called a natural killer cell. And that forest bathing, spending time under the canopy of the forest actually increases our white blood cells, our NK cells, 50%. Wow. And what about pets? So in writing my book, I discovered actually how important being in, in our a sensory mode is important for our pets as well. I found quite a few articles and one research paper in the UK that created a sensory garden for pets, but that spending time being in a sensory mode using our or using their senses to smell and listen and just basically be themselves is one of the most relaxing and resetting things for them. So in terms of our stress pets that can get so stressed out, it's an amazing way to let them just recalibrate and burn off some of the stress. We often think that letting them burn off their energy and exercise really helps them, and sometimes it does, but often it can ramp them up. Well, if you've just joined us, we're talking with certified forest therapy guide and author Nadine Mazzala about her new book, Forest Therapy with Your Dog. So, Nadine, is forest therapy considered a form of exercise? Depends on your definition of exercise. The Japanese scientists that have studied forest bathing actually say that you should not be doing a lot of running or activity because that can boost our, some of our stress hormones. So I would say that it's more of a relaxation and de-stressing or stress management technique. Okay. So talk about, we've talked about using the senses. So how can forest bathing unlock the power of the five senses? For our, for our people and pets. Yeah. So as I mentioned earlier, the power of our five senses are just how they have this amazing ability to recalibrate our nervous systems and to relax us and trigger our relax or bring out our relaxation response. And so just spending time noticing whether it's using all five of your senses at once or focusing on one at a time, I often well, this is one of the one thing I love about forest bathing with my dog is I often let my dog Juliet set the lead. And when she's listening, I take her cue and listen myself or wander just noticing things with my sense of smell. 
So really just going through our senses one at a time and just seeing what we notice. It's very open and unguided. Yeah. So we have, we have sight, we have smell, smell. we have hearing, taste. we have touch and then taste. Did I miss something? Am yeah. I supposed to taste what's in the forest? Well, you only if only only if you know what you're tasting. So we safety is always a primary, very important factor. Our dogs actually use their tongues as a means of touching things a lot and tasting sometimes too. So I'm beginning to take a deep breath and beginning to relax. Yeah, you need to relax. Okay. So Nadine, how do you and your dog go about forest bathing? How am I going to do that? Can you do it anywhere in the world? Yeah. Good idea. So really anywhere that people and dogs and nature meet are places for forest bathing. It could be in your yard, in your garden, in a park, in the forest, on a trail, anywhere that people and nature meet. So why is walking with a certified forest therapy guide more beneficial when you first start out? Well, I'll give you an analogy as a way of explaining, which is when you go to a yoga class or even with our pets, when we go to a puppy training class to learn, it's often very helpful to go to a class and be led, be guided, to reserve that time and have somebody else hold the space. It can be very beneficial. Yes, you can do it on your own, but that may help to share why it is beneficial to be guided. At least the conversation is making me relax a little bit more. You are. You are. Yes, yes. So where can we buy the book and how much is it? So the book is 1895. It has over 70 illustrations and a space for journaling or drawing or taking notes in the back. And you can find it on the big stores that we all know and in all of the little online outlets as well. Nadine? We really want to thank you for joining us today. You know, I think pets, pet owners, and myself all need some forest bathing for calming and relaxing in these really extremely stressful times. You know, I'm going to hold you to that. Well, everyone, that was Nadine Mazzola, Certified Forest Therapy Guide and the author of the new book, Forest Bathing with Your Dog. To learn more about Nadine and her book, Forest Bathing with Your Dog, visit nenft.com. Let's wrap up the show so we can get to some calming and relaxing. What do you think, Dr. Fleck? Where does the time go? But before we go, we want to give you a preview for next week's show. So next week, we're going to talk about when to spay and neuter your dog, pet-friendly U.S. cities, and what that means, and Tabby, which is a new dating app for cat lovers. Dr. Fleck, can you give special thanks to our guests? A special thanks, yes, to our guests, Dr. George Burgess, Dr. Sarah Hamer, and Nadine Mazzola. And we must always thank our sponsors, the Animal Medical Center of Bradenton and EpiPet, making better skin, coat, and ear care products for healthier pets everywhere. If you have a question, comment, or you just want to share your pet's picture with us, write to us at teamatthepetbuzz.com or post your comment on our social media feeds, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and at the Pet Buzz. We will cover your comment on next week's show. And if you've missed any portion of the show, visit our social media channels as well as your favorite streaming channels and listen to the linked podcast on Monday morning. And most importantly, remember, we're here each week to help you take better care of your pet. 
Peace out and pet love. Bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Pet Buzz. The Pet Buzz is hosted by the dynamic pet duo, pet trendologist Charlotte Reed and Dr. Michael Fleck. Tune in each week for the latest 411 on everything pet related. Visit our website at www.thepetbuzz.com. Learn more about us, the show, and our guests.